So Jeff Passan, I just want to start here by being very open and honest about just, I would say, um, the absolutely two-faced cruelty that is the baseball postseason, right? I mean, no other sport does this to people. Nobody forces you to play 162 games and then acts like such an unforgivingly different person as soon as the playoffs start. Yeah, it's like in baseball, you need to be Eliud Kipchoge and Usain Bolt. You need to be able to run a marathon better than anyone and then sprint just as well. It doesn't matter how great you are from April to September if you fall on your face in October. No longer is the the controlled randomness of the regular season a good thing necessarily because you can backdoor your way into the playoffs and it does not matter if you want 110 games or 85 games all you got to do is get on a heater and get to the end of October and you may end up with some sparkling gemstones on your ring finger this idea that the slog of the baseball regular season is romantic I get it I appreciate it but what does it seed to Once October comes, pure chaos. If you have no idea what is about to happen in these baseball playoffs, maybe not least because you just hibernated through the entirety of this marathon regular season, I have great news for you. You are absolutely not alone. In fact, October chaos isn't just a ladder. It's kind of a feature now, and arguably a bug. So today, as the four wildcard series begin, we are making Jeff pass and explain what is really happening here, how this brand new format is going to work, whether it makes any sense, and who the winners really are. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Friday, October 7th. This is ESPN Daily. So, Jeff, we just discussed the truly rank hypocrisy in general of the baseball postseason. But we should note here that this year, the entire format of what we're about to watch is also changing significantly. It may be in an attempt to be a little less cruel, actually. So explain what we're all about to watch here for the very first time. So in collective bargaining negotiations during the lockout, Major League Baseball wanted to expand the postseason to 14 teams. It makes sense. The more teams are in, the more games can be played. The more games can be played, the more television rights they can reap from it. But the players thought expanding to 14 teams would disincentivize teams from going out and trying to get better in the offseason because, hey, if you got a lottery ticket, doesn't matter how good you are during the regular season, you can still go out and win a World Series. So they stuck firm on 12 teams, and that is where it landed, moving up from 10. You've got three division winners, one in each league from the West, the Central, and the East. And you now have three wild card teams, mm-hmm. the teams that didn't win divisions 
with the best records regardless of what division they're in. The top two teams, record-wise, in each league get buys in the first round, and the remaining four face off in wild card series. That's different from the past yes. where we had single wild card games. The three seeds in each league are the remaining division winner that didn't get the buy, and the four seed is the team with the best record non-division winner in each league. Both of those teams get to host three-game wildcard series. They host all three games, which are played on consecutive days, and the four host the five, and the three host the six, and whoever gets to two wins first advances to face either the number one or two seed in the division series. All of which sounds pretty damn intense. Look, we've had you know, dozens of days uh, throughout the summer into the fall that have 15 baseball games on the schedule. But sure, each of those baseball games is one of 162, Pablo. Uh, each of these games is one of three. And so the consequences of that are clear. Either you win or your season is done. Yes, life or death. Well, at the very least, more realistically, humiliation or pride, all of that is at stake. Mm -hmm. And and how do, like, from your understanding here, how do the players, the coaches, how do the teams feel about this new arrangement? Because last year, we can recall, it was two wildcard teams per league, just a single elimination arrangement. It was a... Uh, it was it was a win-or-go-home scenario in a one-game playoff, essentially, between those two teams. But now, they're feeling how about this? They feel okay about it. Three games still does not illustrate who the better team is. That's what we have to understand. I think we can say unequivocally that the Los Angeles Dodgers were the best team in Major League Baseball this season, that the Houston Astros were the second best team, that the Atlanta Braves and the New York Mets and the New York Yankees, all you got to do is just go from top to bottom in the standings. And 162 games is a pretty good sample to determine who's good. I just want to point out that you saying that declaratively, right? The best team in baseball was the Los Angeles Dodgers, period. That is heresy inside <laughs> of sports. Because sports, I'll remind you, is run by Big Playoff Incorporated. Yeah, and, and Major League Baseball has been the last major men's American professional sports league to fully embrace the idea that bigger equals better when it comes to the postseason. Even still around the game, the, there's a pretty sincere feeling that 12 teams is too many. And that goes back to baseball's history, of course, where the playoffs weren't even a thing for decades. It was just the World Series. The World Series was the postseason. Hold on, Jeff. Explain for the kids out there. Well, I guess all of us are kids in this context. Explain what it used to be like back in the day of like Old Haas Radboard. Yeah, Old Haas Radborn actually was the stud of the original World Series back in 1884. 
the Providence Grays, the pride of the Who Providence Grays. Of course, 75 games in that season out of the Grays, 114 games. Uh, he was the starting pitcher in 75 of them. He threw 678 and two thirds <laughs> of the Grays, 1,036.1 innings. This was back in an era when baseball was transitioning away from a 45-foot pitching box to the 60-foot, 6-inch mound Mm. that we now know. And that's when, in that first year, it was a three-game World Series. Three years later, in 1887, the Detroit Wolverines and St. Louis Browns played a... We had Detroit Wolverines... That's incredible mascot. We had Detroit Wolverines and a 15-game World Series, Pablo, (laughs) that Detroit won 10 games to five. And eventually, uh, you know, come the turn of the century, it was settled on a seven-game series. That's where we were for a really, really long time until 1969, the first year of the league championship series. And ever since then, it has just been expansion, expansion, expansion. And here we are now with a wild card that's been expanded beyond (laughs) that one game and to a three-game series. Which is to say that modernity has done what old Haas Radborn did before anybody else in human history, apparently, which is give a giant middle finger (laughs) to the past. Because apparently he is the first person, Jeff Passan, to ever have been captured on camera doing the gesture. He popularized it, I suppose, is the way we could say it safely. Uh, Yes. And listen, I think that to traditionalism, Major League Baseball has offered the same gesture uh, (laughs) with the current playoff format. So the current playoff format. Who does it most benefit, do you think? When you look at this field, right? There are eight teams playing in the wild card round. There are a bunch of teams that are waiting for those teams, whoever survives the wild card round, to limp towards them. Who wins here just based on the structure that we have now? Very oddly, Pablo, the answer might be the worst teams in the postseason. Uh, Let's take the Tampa Bay Rays, for example. The Rays are the epitome of the small market team in Major League Baseball that does everything right. They scout well. They develop players extremely well. Their analytics team is top-notch. They just have a great organization top to bottom. And despite having among the lowest payrolls in baseball every year, they are now in the playoffs for the fourth consecutive season. Despite five consecutive losses to end the season, which landed them at an 86 and 76 record. Now, Mm. what do they get for being in the postseason? They get to face the Cleveland Guardians, the number three seed, the winner of the American League Central Division. And that's a good thing because the American League Central, Pablo, I'm trying to think of a kind way to say this. Uh, it sucks. <laughs> it's it's a really bad division. Uh, disappointments. I like how you went from, uh, Jeff, I like how you went from historian, by the way, just then to just Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> <laughs> so Cleveland spent a lot of the year beating up on bad teams. And Tampa Bay, despite limping into the playoffs the way it did, gets to face the Guardians in that, best of three series. When you look at talent, just pure talent on teams, the two least talented teams in the American League playoff field are the Cleveland Guardians 
and the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> Congratulations. Can we get some sound, some magnificent trumpets to herald that simple fact? <laughs> Jeff Hassan has declared the two least talented teams in the playoffs to be facing each other in that series. It's not great, Bob. And so if a certain mediocrity is getting rewarded, who are the people who are losing the most in this arrangement? The big losers are the number one seeds, Pablo. And this is a phenomenon that is going to come about because there is no reseeding in Major League Baseball's new playoff format. So we just talked about how the three tends to be weak or at least this year in both Cleveland and St. Louis is clearly weaker than the other two division winners. Yes. And so that weak team gets to advance and play the number two seed. On the other hand, the most dangerous teams in both leagues of the group that did not win divisions are the number four seeds. Uh, in the National League, that would be the 101-win New York Mets. Mm -hmm. And in the American League, the 92-win Toronto Blue Jays. And because of the way that the seeding works, because there is no reseeding, the winner of the four versus five, uh, the, the New York Mets versus a very dangerous San Diego Padres team, the Toronto Blue Jays versus a very dangerous Seattle Mariners team, gets the pleasure of facing the number one seed in both leagues, that being the Los Angeles Dodgers in the National League and the Houston Astros in the American League. And, uh, you know, if you're the Dodgers and the Astros and you potentially have to face, respectively, the Mets and the Blue Jays in a division series game, in a best-of-five division series game, you're not feeling great about your situation, and you sure would rather face the winner of the 3-6 in both leagues. Which is all to say that the mere fact that you won a division is actually disadvantaging teams that are better in the other divisions. Yeah, it's the baseball playoffs. It just makes all kinds of sense, right? So what is this baseball playoff rewarding? Like, I mean, what are we what are we finding out here as this experiment is about to begin in your articulate opinion? The Major League Baseball playoffs are not like the NBA playoffs where almost always the better team wins. The best team wins. They are not like the NFL playoffs where if you have a player at one position who is really good, you're not guaranteed success, but you're expected to succeed. They're a lot more like the NHL playoffs where the overriding factor is quite often luck. It really is a, a difficult concept for any sports fan who spent the previous six months feeling good about his or her team yes. to wrap his or her head around the idea that all it takes is less than a week for your great team <laughs> to be on the couch by the end of the month. And so on that note, Jeff... After the break, we are going to remain seated and you're going to do the very thing you said was pretty much impossible. You are going to predict exactly what's going to happen in these matchups.
Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Jeff, on behalf of the sad, just truly sad Met fans on our staff, mm. can you answer the question of how it is that a team that's up, oh, I don't know, 10 and a half games on June 1st, wins 100 games, but also still does not win their division here? Well, Mets fans, being the self-loathing creatures they are, want me to say, I believe, that the Mets are choking dogs who blew this unblowable lead, and this is just going to be another year of pain yes. to add on to an existence that is already a factory of sadness. Yep, big bondage vibes talking to that fan base. Yeah. The reality of it, Pablo, is that the Atlanta Braves went 78 and 34 mm. over their last 112 games. That is a 113 win pace over the course of an entire season. And the champions, the defending champions from last year, the ones who added to that championship team, Ronald Acuna Jr., their superstar outfielder. Michael Harris Jr., a five-win rookie center fielder who's going to be the rookie of the year in all likelihood. And I can go on and on and on about just how talented and good Atlanta is. The Mets didn't blow this division as much as the Braves just came up and bullied it from them. Mm. And yes, it is true that bullying included a three-game sweep at Truist Park in which Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, and Chris Bassett, the top three pitchers in the Mets rotation, all pitched and all lost when they could have potentially locked up that division. Instead, it's gone. And now they have far and away the hardest path of any team to a championship this season. And that path does start at home. They host the San Diego Padres in these three consecutive games, if needed, this weekend. And the way that the Mets are going to approach this, Jeff, because their pitching staff, again, like the highs are so high, right? When you look at DeGrom and you look at Scherzer, what's the strategy there in terms of how they're going to play these games? Well, the Mets have a choice. And that choice is to try and play the long game or to focus on the series that they are playing right now. Playing the long game is having an eye on the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Dodgers, remember, are an absolute juggernaut. Still. Yeah. This is a team that went 111-51 and 51 this season. This is a team that scored the most runs in Major League Baseball and allowed the fewest. They outscored opponents by 334 runs, that's an average of more than two runs per game better than their opposition. It is a ridiculous array of talent. And so if you're going to beat them, you better bring your best. And what the Mets' best might be is not starting 
Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom in games one and two of that wild card series, but rather going with Scherzer in game one, going with Bassett in game two in hopes that if they win both of those games, they can use Jacob deGrom then in game one of the division series and then bring him back if there is a game five on full rest. And then you would have DeGrom and Scherzer slated to start three of the five games in that series. And all of a sudden, even against a team like the Dodgers, you've got a hell of a lot of better chance when you have your two best pitchers and arguably the two best pitchers in the big leagues going in the majority of the games. But if you're the Padres and you have this lineup full of sluggers like Machado and Soto, these guys who are like terrifying to face as a pitcher, what are you thinking? Well, if you're the Padres, you're hoping that you can score enough runs to back up your pitching staff, which, by the way, has been pretty damn good over the last two months or so. You Darvish, pitcher of the month in the National League in September, has been phenomenal. Questionable playoff history, though. I'll say this, going into New York and shoving against... Max Scherzer, that would be a pretty good playoff moment. You've got Blake Snell, who himself has an infamous playoff history, not of his own making either. Remember, Blake Snell got yanked out of a game by Kevin Cash, the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, a game right, that right. they then went on to lose and lose the World Series. Uh, you can argue because of it. Uh, I think that the Rays would argue alongside it. But Blake Snell uh, has been one of the best pitchers in the second half of baseball this season. So it's not like the Padres are bringing a bunch of scrubinis into flushing. No, they're coming with World Series aspirations too. You do not go out and trade the amount of talent that they did at the deadline this year to get Juan Soto if you believe that you're not going to be a World Series contender every season. So, Jeff, on behalf of those Met fans who like punishment, but maybe not that much punishment, who do you got winning this series? Pablo, I hate predictions. I hate unemployment more. <laughs> and so when I was asked by my fine editors at ESPN.com to make these predictions, I chose the New York Mets. Mm. I, you know... Prediction time of year, I reach out to evaluators all across the game and almost across the board, they said they believe the Mets are the better team here. So Jeff, we stay in the National League because this Phillies at Cardinals series, it behooves me to start, I think, with St. Louis, right? I mean, the season that the Cardinals have had, the season that is about to end with Albert Pujols riding off into the sunset with 703 career home runs and Yadi Molina, right? Like reuniting with him for one last ride and Adam Wainwright being gone by the end of this. What is at stake here, would you say, for the Cardinals? I'm not going to call this season for the St. Louis Cardinals gravy necessarily because there are certain teams in Major League Baseball that annually have the World Series or bust aspirations. Clearly, the New York Yankees are at the top of that mm -hmm. list. If you don't win a 27 rings, bro. Yeah, exactly. 27. That's all you have to say. The Los Angeles Dodgers bro. are there right now, bro. You know, the, the Boston <laughs> Red Sox, the last place Boston Red Sox, by the way, right. uh, are there as well. And a team like the St. Louis Cardinals regularly finds itself there. It's the second most World Series championships of any team in baseball and 
there's just this expectation of excellence that exists there. And this Cardinals team has been awfully top-heavy. They needed a lot of help at the deadline, which they got in the form of Jose Quintana and Jordan Montgomery, two left-handers who have been brilliant for them. But I think if you look at the Cardinals roster and you're being realistic about it, they are decidedly fourth fiddle in the National League behind the Dodgers, the Braves, and the Mets. And so that's despite having two MVP candidates on their team and Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. And that very dynamic does spark my curiosity about why it is that when the Phillies get their ostensible MVP candidate back, Bryce Harper, after missing him for two months due to injury, somehow they're not actually better. They've actually struggled with him back. What's going on there? How would you explain that part of the story? I know a scout who's been following Philadelphia recently. The way that scouting works this time of year is that if you're a playoff team, the pro scouting director sends his advanced scouts out into the field to go and watch every game that potential opponents are playing. And I heard from this guy a couple days ago, and let me look at the text here. (laughs) I love looking at texts on your show because I never want to misquote what they say because scouting wisdom is just the best. Yes, private correspondence with Jeff Passan is a recurring segment that I really do adore on ESPN Daily. I'm watching the Phillies now. Those guys don't belong in the playoffs, man. What a mediocre team. <laughs> that is literally the opposite of the Adam Levine text in baseball form. <laughs> and, and the Phillies, here's the thing. He can say that, and what he says might be true. But the Philadelphia Phillies, Pablo, have Aaron Nola, and the Philadelphia Phillies have Zach Wheeler. And in a three-game wild card series, all you need is two really good starting pitchers to win it. Mm. And to advance against, again, it's a little different. The number two seed in the National League, if the Phillies beat the three seed in the Cardinals, the number two seed that they would face is a rested and excellent Atlanta Braves team. But still, for the Phillies who have gone out in recent years and spent on Harper and on JT Real Muto and on National League home run king Kyle Schwarber to bring all of them in and try and build up this team that for years just had an absolutely bereft farm system. And, you know, since their World Series championship uh, a decade plus ago, uh, I mean, you talk about mediocrity. That's the definition of the Phillies. For them to be back in the playoffs, they had the second longest drought in baseball behind the Seattle Mariners. And Mm. that they are here now, I don't know that they're going to advance. I can say uh, quite confidently that they are not as good of a team as the St. Louis Cardinals. But when you look at Nola and Wheeler, when you look at the damage that can be done with that lineup, it sure does paper over a lot of flaws. So let's just get your prediction officially on paper then. Is your brain telling you to take the Phillies or the Cardinals? Well, my prediction, Pablo, is a bit of an emotional one. One thing that I always love and root for is good stories. And the St. Louis Cardinals are coming off a season in which Albert Pujols at 42 years old going into retirement 
turned into Roy Hobbs. And I'm looking at Yadier Molina, arguably the best defensive catcher of all time, a guy who is going to be in the Hall of Fame and maybe in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot, walking away into retirement. And Adam Wainwright, the guy who has been with Pujols and with Molina for so much of his career, who spent his entire career there and distinguished himself as both a gentleman and a gentlemanly pitcher. This is just like the Cardinalsist team in a long time. <laughs> and that Cardinalsism, I think, is going to take them into the division series. So there's a one last job movie plot you've described, even beyond the good vibes. This is just like a bunch of old guys getting together for a heist. Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. This is like city slickers on a baseball field. <laughs> oh, God, the legend of Curly's gold. Um, what a ridiculous sequel that was. I just talked on Billy Crystal. Yeah, Billy Crystal is catching heat, catching strays in this baseball podcast. Um after the break (laughs) the Rays and the Guardians and everybody else (laughs) Curly's Gold was a was a deep cut I your 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 knowledge of mediocre shit is pretty unparalleled Delicious, meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, wonderful pistachios has got you covered. Grab wonderful pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Shopping for Father's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Father's Day. Whether you're shopping for your brother's first Father's Day or your Renaissance man grandpa, whose interests, of course, are all over the map, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and over, You can also sort by category, like cologne, watches, and more, or gift lists for items like, I don't know, your grill master or golfer in your life. You can also get top tech, from Beats headphones to JBL portable speakers, or if you're looking for top brands, you'll find gifts from Calvin Klein, Polo Ralph Lauren, and Columbia. So what are you waiting for? Father's Day is June 16th, and we'll be here before you know it. Macy's offers the ultimate gift guide to making selecting something special for dad incredibly easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. So, Jeff, if people have been listening, waiting for us to get to the big entree, I think, like the meal of this episode, the Mariners and Jays, hold on because we're going to get there. I am salivating. 
But what does that make Rays at Guardians, Jeff, in contrast? Because that's the other series in the AL. Rays at Guardians is the baseball nerds playoff series. If you like analytics, if you like low scoring games, if oh boy. you like relief parades, then my friends, this is the series for you. I love a mockery of what a starting pitcher is and acronyms that I can't even begin to actually spell out. And what's what's the most interesting part of that, Pablo, is that nobody is better at developing starting pitching than the Cleveland Guardians. And if there are two other teams that that can say the same, it would be the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays. So it's not like we are lacking starting pitching in this series. But why, Jeff? Why would the Guardians do this to baseball if they have the starters to actually start, but they're not going to use them as such? Well, Pablo, this shows you the difference between a roster that is suited for the regular season and one that fits in the postseason. Mm. A trend that we've seen over the last 10 years in particular is the extreme use of relief pitching in playoff games. Starting pitchers, as we discussed earlier this year, they're not going nearly as long into games as they did in the past. And when you're in a playoff environment in which there are better lineups, in which low-scoring games can certainly crop up more often, every out is at a far greater premium because every out brings you that much closer to the potential end of your season. So if Shane Bieber, the Guardians ace, gets in trouble early on, Terry Francona, the manager, will have no problem pulling him from a game because he's got this deep relief core and... He can use them with the Rays. This is the team, remember, that introduced us to the concept of the opener. This is a team that, as one scout earlier this season described to me, the Rays have a major league bullpen in the big leagues and at AAA (laughs) because what they do is shuttle pitchers up and down and rely upon that depth in order to make up for the fact that they don't have any high-dollar guys on their payroll. The Rays have tried to and have effectively hacked baseball. (laughs) And yet it brings me back to Moneyball and to a scene that Michael Lewis captured with Billy Bean when they were talking about how the A's are this organization that year after year in the regular season wins 90 plus, sometimes 100 plus games and then just collapses during the playoffs. You know, Jeff, I love this quote. And yes, please feel free to curse. My shit, Billy Bean said, doesn't work in the playoffs. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've gotten to know Billy Bean through 20 years of doing this job and deeply respect his intellect and everything that he has built in Oakland. They were the model before the Rays were the model. The Rays are almost like the A's 2.0. And up until this point, their hasn't worked in the playoffs either. They've made it. They, listen, they've made it to World Series. They have. But those, those, it's better than the A's have done, but... 
those sparkling diamonds that I was talking about earlier, they still not have been fitted on the fingers of Tampa Bay Rays players, executives, and others in that organization. So in this series then, Jeff, who's I suppose is going to stink less? (laughs) Who you got? Uh, Well, this gets back to what we were talking about earlier. Who is the most fortunate franchise in this postseason? And from the evaluators with whom I spoke, the answer was the Tampa Bay Rays. And I don't know if this series is going to hinge on the return of one player. But let me tell you, Tyler Glass now, mm. all six foot eight of handsomeness that he is. Killian Murphy just reincarnate on a baseball diamond. Killian Murphy with an extra foot and better lettuce. <laughs> that's what Tyler Glass, that's what Tyler Glass now is. And he, you know, the expectation was that he was gonna miss all of the 2022 season after undergoing Tommy John surgery last year. But as the year went on, you know, I would I would check in with him. How you feeling? Doing great. Going to be back. Going to be back. Going to be back. I thought it was ball player blather. I thought that it was unwarranted optimism. Well, Tyler Glasnow is back. And if the Rays can come with him and come with Shane McClanahan, I think that the Rays are the ones who are going to ultimately come out on top. But either way, I do believe that series will go to three games. And I think it's going to be awfully interesting for both baseball nerds as well as longtime fans alike. Yeah, old Haas Radborn hates the <laughs> shit out of this series. <laughs> but I feel like this series that even the crustiest curmudgeon would have to appreciate, Jeff, is the Seattle Mariners at the Toronto Blue Jays, perhaps because it has been about as long as old Toss Redbird's career that we've been waiting for the Mariners to make the postseason. So tell us what exactly we have here. Tell us how special this dish is. I think I can describe the Seattle Mariners ineptitude through a personal anecdote. I have been covering baseball next year will be my 20th season. And I have been Pablo fortunate enough to travel to 29 of the 30 current Major League Baseball stadiums. The one stadium that I have not been to is T-Mobile Park Mm. in Seattle, Washington. And the reason I believe that I have not been there is because during my two decades now of covering baseball, the Mariners have never been to the playoffs and they've been (laughs) so bad that I've really just had no reason to go up there and see the team. Yes, your Marriott points were not needed in the city of Seattle for 20 years. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a sad state of affairs to the, to the point where I still do talk with Mike Salk and Brock Heward, who are radio hosts up in Seattle. And I, I think I started going on the show, boy, it's probably been five, six years now. And they had a theme song for me before every segment I did with them. Here's how it went. Jeff Passin, the wet blanket, raining on parades, harsh and buzzes all day. <laughs> that was, I was known as the wet blanket in Seattle. And at the end, at the end of that, it had a drop of me going, 
they're going to be bad because they were bad <laughs> for so long. And so to see this team now, this exciting, enjoyable, fun team, this team that has rekindled Mina Kimes's love with this franchise that she grew up rooting for. It really has. Everybody in Seattle right now has been arrested by this Mariners team because, man, they are a blast to watch. So explain why they're so fun, Jeff. If you're one of the people who has listened perhaps to that segment and checked out of the Mariners because they felt just the moisture of that blanket, (laughs) what have they been missing? Well, let's start with what was missing until this season. His name is Julio Rodriguez. He is a 21-year-old center fielder, and he might be the most dynamic player in baseball right now. First time we've ever seen somebody in his rookie season get 25 home runs and 25 stolen bases. He's a guy who evaluators thought was just going to be a power-hitting corner outfielder, but this winter he put his mind to becoming a center fielder. He is their franchise player. He is a franchise player. He is the American League Rookie of the Year. But it's not just him. The Mariners have, in a very short amount of time, gone from having no pitching to having one of the best starting rotations in baseball. And when you take those four guys into this playoff series against this Toronto lineup they're going to be facing in Rogers Center, you better have that type of pitching if you want to survive. And so does all of that emotion, do all those vibes, all of the vibes you're trying to make up for, Jeff, after two decades now, does that mean that this team is going to beat the Toronto Blue Jays? I hate to be the wet blanket. Oh my God, I cannot. Of course you're doing this. Of course. Of course. (laughs) The Toronto Blue Jays, Pablo have the sneakiest chance, I think, of anyone to get to the World Series. Now, I am not suggesting that the Seattle Mariners do not have it in them to beat the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays do have some weaknesses. You know, you wonder about the depth of their starting pitching. Alec Manoa is a gangster. We have established that here before. He's awesome. Mm -hmm. Kevin Gosman, as we call him, in the Baseball Tonight green room, the FIP God, because (laughs) he doesn't walk anyone. He strikes out a lot. FIP is also known for the record here as Fielding Independent Pitching, which is another acronym that would absolutely just infuriate Old House Radborn. Yes. I can't tell you how many times when Gosman's been pitching on a Sunday, I have sat around and just said out loud in the green room, FIP God! And Kirchin looks at me like, what are you talking about, Jeff? It's great. <laughs> but Kevin Gosman can, can be a dominant starting pitcher. Beyond that, when you're talking about October being a time when home runs matter, the Blue Jays will bang them if you hang them. And on top of that, if there is a single place this postseason that confers a home field advantage, it is Rogers Center. It's a kind of crappy old stadium, but it is so loud in there. And the fans in Toronto go wild for this Blue Jays team when it's good. I think they have a really good chance and are my pick to advance in what I think 
will probably be the most enjoyable of the four series. No disrespect to Mets Padres, which has the most talent. No disrespect to Guardians Rays, which is the nerd's delight. A little bit of disrespect to Cardinals and Phillies, but, you know, (laughs) disrespect with love. Jeff Passett at the very end here, there's only one thing that we should be playing at Rogers Center volume. And I think you know what song it is. Jeff Passant, the wet blanket, raining on parades, harsh and buzzes all day. They're going to have bad years coming up. The wettest blanket in all of sports. Thank you, as always, for joining us. I am yours in dampness, Pablo. (laughs) That is disgusting. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andy Tennant, Chris Tuminello, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Andre Soto, Scott Sikowski, Amanda Winkler, Maddie Rundlet, Tyrus Ray, and Jackson Angelo. I'll talk to you Monday. <laughs>